Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, y'all. Double G here from Fight Game Media. Your favorite podcasts on this very network have been putting up some great bonus content on the Patreon. The In the Clinch podcast, hosted by Paul Fontaine and Ryan Frederick, posted their UFC 270 recap show just hours after that show ended. And this week, the folks from The Wrap are putting up their 2017 Royal Rumble Rewind bonus show. Also, I know that John LaRocca from the Take It Home podcast is trying to get former WWE heartbreaker Antonio The Promise Thomas on his bonus show. Add to the great shows that are exclusive to the Patreon, including my show with John covering 1998 Raw. The Dynamite Show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins, which goes up right after AEW Dynamite is over. Scott Edwards' five-star Joshi Show, as well as the full version of Brace for Impact. It's just $5 a month to support your favorite podcasters, folks. Patreon.com front slash Fight Game Media. Hi everyone, welcome back to Write That Down. I'm your host, Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com. Staff writer at F4WOnline.com, WrestlingObserver.com. I'm here alongside the Japanese wrestling industry's leading author, leading broadcaster, leading journalist, leading historian, Mr. Fumi Saito. Welcome back to our profile series on Antonio Inoki. This is part two. Part two of Inoki's profile series that we're doing. We did one last week. Covered the early years. Uh, You can find that if you haven't listened to it, it's totally fine. You don't necessarily have to because we do kind of re-go over a lot of topics that we went over last week, but even in, in more detail this week, plus a lot more details talking about more stuck into late 60s, early 70s time, okay? So this is after Hidozan died in 1963. Uh, Inoki stayed with JWA for a while. He did leave with Toyota Board to go to the short-lived Tokyo Pro Wrestling. He came back. He formed a super tag team with Giant Baba. B.I. Platoon. Baba Inoki Platoon. That was their name. For about five years, they they ran roughshod in Japan. They beat everybody. We talked a lot about that in those years right before 1972 when Inoki would leave 
and join, or not join, but really launch New Japan Pro Wrestling with Carl Gotch. On the other hand, after JWA dissolved, Giant Baba, in October of that year, 1972, would start All Japan Pro Wrestling with the Funk Brothers, Terry and Dory Funk. 1972 is a big year. We talked a lot about that. Lots of different details. We also talked about the one of my favorite matches, personally, and a historic one-time-only match between Inoki and UK's Billy Robinson. Broadway. Very long match. It's on New Japan World. Check it out if you haven't. We talked about the debut of Inoki's Octopus Hold. We talked a lot about comparisons between Inoki and Baba as singles wrestlers after they kind of split up that B.I. platoon. And they went their separate ways. They went very different paths. New Japan functioned like the anti-establishment company, the outlaw company. No mud, just outlaw part. Outlaw company to Baba's NWA world stage hookup that he had with All Japan. That's the kind of path each took. Baba was the representation of the establishment, whereas Inoki was anti-establishment. And the styles, the way they wrestled in the ring, the presentations, when you know that, it starts to come out more and more. You can see the nuances and the differences in the styles and philosophies of both Inoki and both Baba. We're going to get to Baba later on, after we finish Inoki. Inoki has a lot of... We have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things to cover with Inoki. Not even just wrestling. Wait until we get to the non-wrestling episodes. Talking politics. Talking Tabasco sauce. Talking hostage situations in Iraq. I kid you not. But that'll be down the road. For today, what else do we cover? We even had a short discussion about VHS and Betamax. Any Betamax fans listening right now? I don't know. Let me know. Okay, and the next write that down, we'll talk about it later. We talk about it during the show, but we kind of give out the plan of what we're going to do in the next couple weeks. So the next write that down after this, we're going to cover Inoki's career from the late 70s into the early 1980s and mid-1980s, when Inoki was not just in his prime, but he was riding high. And the wrestling industry would go through a few huge boom periods around this time. And we add new players into the mix that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Stan Hansen, Tiger Jeet Singh, Hulk Hogan, Bruiser Brody, Andre the Giant. Uh, also, and we really need to talk about this, we talked about it a little bit today, but on the next one, we'll also talk about Inoki's unrecognized WWWF World Heavyweight Championship win in Japan over Bob Backlund. He was a champion. We'll get into it. Enough of me. Let's get started. Fight. We have to go back uh, to JWA era a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because <clears throat> when we talked about Inoki, right? Four first four years, 1960 to 19, end of 1963, until Ricky Dawson dies. Those four years, Inoki served as like a first match guy, second match guy, and also living in Ricky Dawson's home and taking care of him, like domestic, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> and also washing his bag and carrying his bag and Ricky Dozen was like a like uh, was treating Inoki like a total disciple. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whereas Jan Baba was a golden rookie from the day one, former baseball player, star player at it, and also 
Japanese person being what the <clears throat> two meters tall, and they were built. You know, the, the giant bar was always built anywhere from six eight, six nine, or sometimes they're saying like he's seven feet tall, right? Mm -hmm. That's really tall Japanese. Inoki wasn't all that short either. He's like being 17 years old and he was already about 6'4", 190 centimeters. Mm, big athletic guy. But, yep, yep, yep. And he was 17 when he debuted. And so first four years he spent with, you know, Ricky Tozan. And going to America was the one-way ticket to become star back then. Mm -hmm. Well, in a way, kind of same, you know, now too, you know, New Japan wrestlers being sent to abroad for one year, you come back with new gimmick, new costume, sometimes new ring name, new finish, you become star. Huh? So that system was then, it was always there. And for how Inoki came up, it's just completely <clears throat> the way that both of them came up with Babadi was the, like you said, the establishment. He was the chosen one. He was our everything yeah. was set for him. Whereas with Inoki, he really had to fight. Yeah, but not that the, the Baba didn't work hard. He worked very of course, hard. Of course, yeah. just a different a different path was laid out for both of them. Yeah, um, we will touch that uh, the Baba's legacy in states, like his first trip to you know U U.S. He was already challenging champions like Buddy Rogers, the Ruthes, the San Martino, the the you know Dick Byer destroyer from LA, WWE you know world champion at the time, and he was really traveling golden territories. Whereas Inoki was in California, Inoki was in Portland, Oregon, Inoki was in Kansas City, Tennessee, Houston, Texas. They're more of like a territory, territory, more more so than the, the Baba's you know like a U.S. tour type thing. But see, Inoki didn't make Madison Square Garden debut until 75, later on, right? But Baba's second year as a pro, he was already headlining Madison Square Garden against people like Antonino Rocca. Mm -hmm. He came in and with the, a bit of an advantage. <clears throat> he had a manager in, in Great Togo, Big Heel. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was different. Different scenario. So when Inoki was first brought into WWF, where was he on on a card at MSG? Uh, more of a special attraction because he was a guy who had fought Muhammad Ali. Okay, so this had already yeah. happened by the time he came back. Yeah. Yeah, and then also uh, right after New Japan Pro Wrestling signed the partnership with you know Vince McMahon Senior's WWF, New New Japan wrestlers start making appearance. And Inoki was in a special attraction at like a December 1975. So that was a year before Muhammad Ali fight then, that Inoki against Frank Monty or something. I mean, total enhancement type wrestler. I see. So <clears throat> total special attraction. He was an import to show off from Japan, uh, from New Japan. Right. And then a little bit later on, Inoki came in and beat people like Bobby Duncan or Iron Sheik or yeah, or winning Battle Royal or stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or going to Poughkeepsie for the TV taping. He beat Nikolai Balkov or somebody like that. Wasn't a Inoki... strong Kobayashi uh, going to WWF at the time too? <clears throat> a little bit before that. But the, the partnership was 
partnership was already signed and Strong Kobayashi was sent to America to be part of the Madison Square Garden in between Inoki feud. See, Antonio, see, Strong Kobayashi, yes, big rival of Antonio Inoki in early 70s. When he, when Kobayashi quit, quit IWE, he challenged Antonio Inoki in March of 1974 and had a historical match. 90 minute time limit match. We'll talk about that today, a little bit later on. Then he was sent to America for a nine month period and he came back to the New, uh, New Japan ring in December of the same year, 1974, and had a second encounter, Inoki against Kobayashi, the, the part two. So in the meantime, for nine month period, Kobayashi was touring WWE territory. Yeah, as a heel, you know, but at the time he, he challenged champions like the Bruno San Martino and had a single match against Pedro Morales at Madison Square Garden. And he made a tag team with uh, Kobayashi and Killer Kowalski as a tag team. So he was treated pretty top. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. And uh, we have to go back to that because if we go back and forth, early 70s to mid, mid 70s into late 70s, that uh, people were confused, you know. And uh, yeah, that we also have to touch JWA era of Inoki because in modern history, Jan Baba against Anto Inoki, uh, the king against king single match never happened, right? Right. Yeah, but. In reality, between 63 and 64, there were 16 single match, single matches against Baba and Inoki in Japan. <clears throat> All of which was won by Jack Baba. All okay. 16 single matches. Paints a very unique picture of the relationship between the two. Yeah, the rookie rookie year, <clears throat> first seven, seven, six, seven matches that the Baba would beat, you know, first match Inoki, you know, kind of easily. And after one trip to States, he came back to Japan, Jan Baba came back to Japan spring of 1963 and stayed six months or so until his second trip back to Japan, uh, to the States, that, in, that uh, Jan Baba was already established number two wrestler right behind Jan, uh, Ricky Dozen. And Inoki was still talented, but young guy still, right? They, they met again probably seven, eight more times in single match confrontation, like a two out of three, four match type of situation. And Baba beat them all too. Hmm. So a total of 16 matches occurred in, in between 63 and 64, and all of which was won, won by Jan Baba. Now, but who, then again, it was, yeah? No, I was going to ask who was the... the primary booker at that time with JWA. I believe it was Ricky Dozan and people like Yoshino Sato. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Okishikina. Or... Yeah, Did Toyonobori like start doing any of that before Ricky Dozan passed away? I believe Ricky Dozan, Ricky Do, uh, uh, Toyonobori was uh, in-ring in -ring wrestler more so than a booker. I see. Yeah, I believe, yeah, he was uh, either Ricky Dozan, Okishikina, Whenever Great Togo came in, Great Togo did a little bit. Hmm. So yeah, it was... but it was like a, such a closed door business, and people didn't know the the the, the title Booker then. So who was doing it? It was complete kayfabe era that nobody knows. Wow. But I'd say Ricky Dozen because yeah. he was a one man guy. Right. <clears throat>
kind Superstar of what in the ring Inoki producer. became. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the producer, director, and the reading law, you know, re-roll and uh, everything else, everything in between. So Ricky Dozan was it, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So and Inoki, also Inoki was yeah Inoki was promised that the next next guy to go to America gotta be you right I say Inoki oh, Inoki so excited okay, finally I'm going to America and come back as a star oh great right then all of a sudden uh, December of '63 Baba dies I mean uh, Ricky Dozen dies mm -hmm. but it was Tayo Nobori who gave Inoki opportunity let's go to America then uh, Tayo Nobori took him to Hawaii first. And very first match in Hawaii, uh, March of 64, I believe, was Inoki, young, in, you know, 20 year old Inoki against Curtis Arakea. From Hawaii. King, yeah, King Curtis, right? Mm -hmm. Later on, yeah. And uh, yeah, well, the, the, uh, King Curtis Arakea was still active wrestler then. <clears throat> then he, yeah, flew himself, Inoki flew himself out to California. And met up with Mr. Moto, you know, Charlie Iwamoto. Mr. Moto was also a, you know, stereotypical Japanese post-war heel type wrestler. And also was a booking agent for Japan after Great Togo. See, right after Ricky Dozen died, that the JWA company tried to cut ties with Great Togo. Because Great Togo was asking for a big percentage of everything, right? Mm -hmm. So the company uh, decided to cut ties with Great Togo and choose Mr. Moto instead. Yeah, and he was the booking agent for you know for all the American wrestlers coming from America to Japan all the way till like '71. Yeah, Mr. Moto. Mr. Moto. Yeah, Mr. Moto. Charlie Iwamoto. American, no. <clears throat> Japanese was, descent. So he he was. Uh in charge of not just the terror certain territories he was in charge of most of the japanese talent that would come to north america yeah putting together visa yeah mm -hmm. and also oh. um sending sending japanese wrestlers to territories because not just one place but you know send you know you know smaller guys to tennessee or if you know you want to send sakaguchi to um, you know, go another rookie a little bit later on. You know, if you're gonna send Sakaguchi to Florida, uh, the Duke Kelmukawa would be there. Hiro Matsuda would be there, so it would be in you know, a good place to work. Or wrestler could be sent to Amarillo, Texas, to be with you know Funk family, or or Paul Bosch and you know that the Houston, Texas. Um, right around the time Fritz von Erich was taking over territory in Dallas, so they might need some Japanese wrestlers to be heel. Yeah, and yeah, much later on, later on, like in 1981, Great Great Kabuki was produced by Von Eriks. Remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the relationship was already there. You know, if you want to send wrestler to Detroit, the Sheik will take care of you. Um, if you want to send wrestler to Indianapolis, Dick the Bruiser will be there. And every you know major city had their own wrestling back then. How long was Charlie Omoto? How long did he do that for? Did that last up until the eighties? Uh, seventy-one or seventy-two. Until, 70. until okay. yeah, seventy-one until JWA went down. I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because Inoki had his own in Korogach, 
and John Barber hooked, you know, hooked up with Dory Funk Sr. in Amarillo and San Machinic in San Luis right away. Very interesting. That's very yeah, interesting. therefore, and that John Barber was, was NWA National Wrestling Alliance uh, establishment right away. Whereas Inoki had to associate with rather outlaw companies, right? So Inoki, he first went <clears throat> with um Toyo Nobori. With Toyo to Nobori Hawaii. to Hawaii, yeah. Yeah. It's just it, it's interesting to see the the relationships between uh companies from Japan and the States, because things of course they really change when JWA collapses and it splits into right, two. Right. But also um that I mean sometimes one person would be booking wrestlers for companies that kind of compete against each other, but it's still through the same funnel, you know? Yeah, but uh, Mr. Moto was always with JWA, though. I see. Yeah, and then also, U.S. establishment didn't really understand the Japanese landscape of wrestling business. Mm -hmm. It was far away. And news traveled really slow back then, in six in early sixties into seventies. Yeah, there's, there's how many wrestling companies are there over there? So they didn't really care, you know. Yeah, I think it was just thought more about as a country. It was just called Japan, just Japan. <laughs> yeah, Guys yeah. How many Japan. wrestling companies? Yeah, because even in, during Ricky Dozen's dominant era there were more than one wrestling company you know like uh, toshio yamaguchi's all japan pro wrestling from osaka which is different from jan baba's all japan and you know kimura judo's kimura masahiko kimura's international wrestling done in out of kumamoto and there's like a couple three different wrestling companies out of osaka and there are quite a few but eventually ricky dozen's japan pro wrestling conquered them all yeah Kind of like WWE and then North America. Yeah, in, in, in different era though. Different, different era. era, different context, but uh, the basic idea. Yeah, but Ricky Dozen's company was the only one with network budget. Yeah. So you always need television. That's one interesting thing about Japanese pro wrestling is that even since the early days, it, it always been associated with television very uh, pretty strongly associated with television from its from its origin i mean yeah, of course there were shows you, before you, but yeah not you know wrestling wrestling company didn't survive from just selling tickets you know mm -hmm. ticket sales it was always network budget and not just new network budget was but the beginning of television was beginning of wrestling wrestling made television popular television made ricky dozen popular they helped each other Ricky Dozan was Mr. Television in 19, what does, 54? Yeah, that much like your Gorgeous George was. Beginning of television era, beginning of Gorgeous George era in America. Mm. Wrestling was always big, big television show, you know? And uh, not every household, in the household had television sets. And it was uh, Ricky Dozan night to gather up in your neighborhood restaurant and watch wrestling or go to ramen house or a small bar in your neighborhood that they have big television that people gather and watch Ricky Dozen. So that was a television night. The television night meant Ricky Dozen night.
I've even seen old pictures of people crowding around the electronics store uh, using the yeah, in the window, yeah, in the window, the the window televisions for display, mm -hmm. catching mm -hmm. the and catching the match. Always, then for some reason they 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 would be watching wrestling, yeah, and that's why the Sharp Brothers was like when you think about American, that's like Sharp Brothers, Sharp Brothers, you know, <laughs> Mike Sharp and Ben Sharp, but actually in all reality, they were from Canada. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's but a big they, part of pro wrestling, I think. Mm -hmm. Ethnic. But, um, uh, in, in 1954, Japanese people didn't know the difference between American and Canadians. All big white gaijins, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was and easier also, when there were gimmick, uh, gimmicks or characters, right? Right. They're just big white gaijins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, a ga ga gaijin is a, is a term that they don't even use in television anymore. It's no. like, a, I mean, like a, the term from decades ago, you know, it's but I, we, we, we just use that word. Yeah. A little bit for that, uh, for that, you know, occasion, I guess. We're not going to use that word again in our hmm. program. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But anyhow, that, uh, Beginning of television was in the beginning of wrestling, and wrestling boom meant television boom, and television boom meant wrestling uh, boom. And with that, and Ricky Dozen became national hero and a television hero. And his actually his Ricky Dozen era only lasted what ten all of ten years. That's right. Yeah, seems Such a, lot a longer. short time, but what an impact. <clears throat> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Inoki was there as a 17-year-old Inoki was discovered by Ricky Dozen in Brazil. And he was being introduced uh, as a, you know, tomorrow's wrestling hero. And this guy was born in Brazil. It's a, ah, fantasy right there, right? Mm -hmm. Origin and story. Inoki, yeah, and then Inoki wasn't allowed to speak Japanese in front of the audience or the, uh, in front of the media for a long time. And his junior, you know, his junior high friend discovered him. You know, it's like, hey, Inoki, right? And you're not supposed to talk. <laughs> yeah. But he was so talented. And also, he was that uh, lucky enough to be seconding primetime Ricky Dozen that uh, he witnessed or Luthes match, Freddie Blassie match, Dick Hutton match, uh, who, whatnot, all the destroyer. You know, yeah, destroyer, of course, of course. Um, Sky High Lee, young Don Leo Jonathan, young Bobo Brazil, you know, all these wrestlers challenge young Haystacks Calhoun. And Johnny Powers. Dogs. No, that's that, that's, oh, that's in the 70s. That's uh, excuse me. Right, that's right, right. Too early. <gasps> so we're, we're still, we're still yeah. back in the mid 60s, late 60s. <laughs> right. But Inoki was also uh, was there as a young guy. And he was like very ambitious, right? Hmm. And bitter that the you know that Baba Inoki being introduced the same, very same day and had a debut match, 1960s September 30th. The Baba went over on Katsuhama, you know, uh, Katsuhama, but the Inoki was beaten by uh, Kim Il Oki Kintaro. Uh, that uh, it was two golden rookie, but it was actually it was going to be a four pillars, original four pillars. Baba, Inoki, and Yukio Suzuki, and uh, Kintaro Oki. Those four were golden rookies. Kintaro Oki, too, even though he, he was Korean wrestler, right? And believe it or not, 
Japan and South Korea did not have diplomacy then yet. Mm -hmm. There was still war, war, right? Uh, and uh, that the formal diplomacy wouldn't, the two countries wouldn't speak to each other until mid 60s, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, Kintaro Oki, that's Japanese name for him, but his real name, Kim Il, that they, he got on the boat, industrial boat. Then uh, he um, he was actually a illegal, you know, alien immigrant, and he was arrested in Yokohama. And then uh, he wrote a letter to Ricky Dozen that that he wanted to be a wrestler, and of all people, you know, the ruling party LDP, you know, that the Liberal Democrat Party, Ricky Dozen always had political um, connection that. Uh, get him out of jail and put him in dojo system and uh, he became legal and uh, Kim Il debuted. Yeah. What a story. What a story. So We're he was gonna going, going to, to be talk about him too someday. Yeah, because le- much, much later on, Inoki against Kintaro Oki, big single match. Giant Baba against uh, Kintaro Oki, big single match. Uh, big tag team program, Giant Baba and Jumbo Tsuru against Kintaro Oki and Kim Dak. In wow. the 70s, big, biggest tag team in the feud, and Kintaro Oki against uh, Abdul the Butcher, who who is the great, who has the biggest, uh, the greatest headbutts in the world type deal. Mm. And uh, there was a big program. Anyhow, that the, it was going to be four pillars: Baba Inoki and Yukio Suzuki, Mammoth, Mammoth Suzuki, and Kintaro Oki. But uh, Yukio Suzuki quite didn't make it as a star. And Kintaro Oki was on his own, and Baba Inoki became too too big, you know, huge superstar. Then, and you start your own company, you know. Mm. And Kintaro Oki was the only one left, uh, that the last one to stay with JWA when he when the company went down. But he went back to South Korea and became his version of Ricky Dozen in his home home back home country. Did he? There was rest- he, he yeah. would come back to feud with Inoki years later. Baba, right? yeah, years later, and Baba, yeah, and also he uh, he ran his own company in Korea. But the the, the perception of professional wrestling in South Korea is a little bit different. This uh, real or fake issue always remain. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If it was real, real all the way. If it was fake, it was bad. <laughs> right but the king Stigma. yeah yeah and then kintaro oki was the only one to carry but he was real kind of thing i see like a brock lesnar kind of wrestler yeah and then also he was big enough star that that issue didn't really make any difference mm. yeah was Dozen received like that too in korea uh there was uh uh See, Ricky Dozen was was born in northern part of the Korean peninsula when there was no South Korea or North Korea. The entire peninsula was Japanese colony then, back in 1920s. Mm-hmm. So uh, North Korean people think Ricky Dozen is their own star, and South Korean people think Ricky Dozen was their own star, native. Uh, so the argument's still there. Yeah. Countries fighting over the wrestlers, huh? Or the image of it, yeah, yeah. Who made big star in Japan? And yeah. that's how much they represented. That's how much the kind of cultural weight they carried. 
I think, yeah. So, but that's a too big of an issue to just wrap up in two minutes here. That's right. You know? We're just blasting yeah. over. We're, we're gonna have to do that because there's so many situations like that in uh, Inoki's career, not just now, but the crossing now. over, not just in ring. Uh, what happened things or storylines or who who his rivals were but uh, so involved in different aspects of culture politics don't you think that too yeah entertainment yeah. that's not wrestling yeah and the media you know the mm. reason Inoki and Baba each became such a big icon was that uh, Inoki had a channel 10 TV Asahi is back backing and Baba always had Channel Four, Nippon TV, NTV's backing in his, in their budget, so uh, they went separate way with reasons. Yeah, and Each just like network wanted to have their own. Yeah, Ricky Dozen owned the franchise, and eventually he, he was going to go separate way. You know, and when when Ricky Dozen died on untimely death, that company was going to split one way or another sooner or later and the four four guys who took over Ricky Dozen's JWA Tayo Nobori, Yoshino Sato, Kokichi Endo and Michiaki Yoshimura they didn't quite have the clue right yeah but then again wrestling was such a big business that uh, uh, the cash flow made them crazy and uh, eventually that uh, Inoki wanted to you know, clean up the company in 1971 and instead Inoki was fired and Baba wanted to clean up the company's account that uh, you know to make it clear like a glass ceiling that he ended up quitting all, you know old company and NTV channel 4 wanted to back Baba instead of old dudes you know and uh, their you know JW, J, uh, original JWA goes down I think but for Inoki's yeah, go ahead. I I want to. I'm thinking, you know, just on what we just talked about a little earlier about Ricky Dozan. Go ahead. Talking about Ricky Dozan with uh, evolving with television. When we see what happens with Inoki when and Baba when they split after Ricky Dozan yeah. passes, we also see this. There it's was more a complex, but it's yeah. a it's still the evolution of technology and television. But the they time. did not open New Japan right away. You see, it's Inoki and Baba opened their New Japan, you know, own company, New Japan and Old Japan, in 1972. There was a there was like eight nine year period that uh, old old JWA existed after Ricky Dozen. That's right. Yeah, upon Inoki's return from the states, you know, he spent two years in in America, 1964 and 1965, and he was gonna come back to JWA for eighth annual world league tournament in 1966 but instead Toyan Nobori was waiting for Inoki in Hawaii and talk him into opening up a new company with them which was Tokyo Pro Wrestling so Inoki overnight conversation right I'm not going back to JWA and uh, we're gonna start the Tokyo Pro Wrestling and 23 year old Inoki became superstar and the promoter when he was 23 and opened up his very first outlaw company called Tokyo Pro Wrestling and operated for only one year. And that went down without television. But uh, there's a historical match in 1966, Tokyo Pro Wrestling. 
the, the, the Johnny Valentine was brought in as, as a US heavyweight champion. Uh, I don't know the origin of this version of US heavyweight title, but uh, ex they explained it that uh, in Chicago, and there was US heavyweight titles, right? You know, in, uh, you know, Marigold Garden in Chicago, that uh, Dumont Network, you know, now defunct, you know, television network out of Chicago. There was a TV era in Chicago, and the main title was US, United States heavyweight title, held by people like, you know, young Vern Gagne, the, you know, uh, who, I mean, it was a big television company. Uh, owned by Fred Kohler. Um, that's in, in a sort of like a split of NWA at the time. But the Johnny Valentine was brought in as U.S. heavyweight champion. Inoki challenged Valentine and beat him and became U.S. champion in Japan in 1966. But that Tokyo Pro Wrestling only lasted all of, what, six months? You know, they were going to have 40 consecutive date tour and only ran, what, 15 shows before they went down. And Inoki and Taonobori even had falling out. And, then, and the politician came in and uh, brought Inoki back to JWA the following year, 1967. So 1967, 68, 69, 70, and 71. So between 67 and 71, five-year period when Inoki and Baba were together in the same ring as a tag team. That's my happy days. I mean, I was a little, little kid, you know. That uh, international tag team champion, Baba and Inoki. It's called BI combination or BI platoon. BI, so it's Baba and Inoki. So clearly, Baba is the superior. The Inoki is like a little bit below, right? Mm -hmm. But people love underdogs better than your champion sometimes. Sometimes, especially if one is from a specific hometown and one is from far away, home versus visitor dynamic yeah and then also um see ricky dozen's main title was international singles you know international heavyweight title and after the tournament baba inherited that uh, heavyweight title and between 1965 to all the way to 72 baba was holding the single version of international heavyweight title as the main guy for jwa and inoki only had international tag team champion the asian tag team title until like 71 until he they made him a un a un champion yeah inoki didn't have singles title for quite a long time but it was uh mainly baba's partner mm -hmm. and he moves better than you know baba so in the back of like my head in the back of my mind or the, all the kids watching television in late 60s into early 70s Inoki clearly was a better wrestler than Baba, but the Baba was always like rank above him. And uh, it was like sooner or later, it was going to be Baba against Inoki, which never happened. Yeah. Never happened, yeah. meaning like we just talked about the 16 matches in the early, early, early years. But after both of them became star, the single match between Baba and Inoki didn't take place. It just seems clear that to me that. It feels like Baba was presented in a certain way, and and you know, yeah, with, with you know the the U, what was it, the North American belt, right? That was the belt with the eagle. No, U on UN UN UN. Yeah, like a, the part of the Triple Crown today. Did that that was that the belt that had the big eagle on it? The NWF uh, like belt. A, 
Oh, that NWF belt doesn't come in play until New Japan era. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're still talking about JWA 1970. I'm, I'm jumping up a couple years. I'm right, right. I'm years. talking about this a happy five year period 67, 68, 69, 1970, 1971, when Inoki and Baba were together. And we have to go through like a tag team that the that uh, Inoki, Baba and Inoki beat together, you know, that uh, when they won the international tag team title, Baba and Inoki beat Bill Watts and Tarzan Tyler to become tag team champions. And there was a title defense, Baba Inoki against Crusher Rosalski and Big Bill Miller, the, you know, Mad Dog Bashan and Killer Carl Cox, the Brute Bernard and Gene Kaniski, the Score Murphy and Brute Bernard, the, the Bruiser and Crusher together, Danny Hodge and Wilbur Snyder together. Uh, the, all, all sometimes this in like in 1969, Dory Funk Jr. and Danny Hodge together then NWA world champion and then NWA junior heavyweight champion. Dory Funk and Danny Hodge together challenged Baba Inoki and Baba Inoki beat him. Wow. Texas and Oklahoma on one yeah, team. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Football or, rivals. Uh, Inoki and Baba easily beating young Dory and Terry Funk. Mm. So or like a super like, team. Yeah, super team. Or beating people like Johnny Valentine, Gene Kaniski together. Yeah. Or the Bruno San Martino and Ray Stevens together, they beat him. Wow! So they were just that was right, yeah, right before that was right after Bruno San Martino and Ray Stevens happened in New York and San Francisco, like a big program, the baby face biggest, you know, kingpin Bruno San Martino against them biggest heel Ray Stevens, you know, they had a match against each other. Then they toured together in Japan right after that. And uh, like I said, the news traveled so slow in that in that era that uh, ain't nobody from America knew Bruno San Martino and Ray Stevens would be tagging together in Japan. But the Inoki and Baba together beat San Martino and Ray Stevens team. And uh, yeah, it's like a, it was who's who. I mean, all the all the big talent from America and you know, come over and teaming up and challenging Baba and Inoki's international tag team title. And usually Baba and Inoki beat him. Yeah. The only couple of times they got beat was uh, Dick the Bruiser, Crusher, Rysolski program that uh, they, you know, that uh, they catch the ball that, uh, you know, first week of tour, Bruiser and Crusher beat Baba Inoki. But the end of the tour, like four weeks later, they get the title back. Same thing happened with Wilbur Snyder and Danny Hodge together. They had like a five tag team title match during the one tour. And that was the time Inoki's new finish octopus was introduced at the fifth, fourth match. Something like that. So slowly but surely, see, in Japan, they never had this backstage skit. In Japan, they never do this promos you know there were press interviews but they never have microphone and like do this big promo in in the ring and all the subtle storylines are taking place in in that ring does that make sense mm. yeah yeah it's just yeah, more so. sports like overall overall yeah and then the inoki introducing octopus to beat Wilbur snyder and danny and danny hodge to get the international title back it was a big story big enough story then in the meantime giant baba always had this 
international international singles belt, right? Mm-hmm. And he would beat Dick the Bruiser. He would beat little aged Luthers, young Gorilla Monsoon. Um, when NWA World Champion Gene Kaniski came over, Kaniski did not defend NWA World Title. Instead, he challenged Baba's International Heavyweight Title as a challenger, and they went went 60 minute Broadway or something. And when Bruno San Martino was brought in as WWF World Champion, he did not defend that WWF. F title. Instead, Bruno San Martino challenged Baba's international title, and they went another 60-minute Broadway type of deal. So Baba was established as equal from the, the all the world champion from America. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. So Baba was always placed, yeah, the guy challenged, you know, all, always the biggest American you know, superstar on that tour will challenge Baba, whether it's Dick Bayer or Fritz von Erich or um, all these people who came over. The, the, the Sheik, his first trip, Bobo Brazil. That uh, yeah, they rotate and came in and and they all challenged Giant Baba's title for the big show when Inoki didn't have the single title. Inoki's single heavyweight championship doesn't happen until like '71. He went to LA Olympic Auditorium and beat John Talos for UN title. Therefore, the UN title, United National Heavyweight title, was brought, you know, brought to Japan. And he had four defense, title defense, uh, before he got kicked out that the, or, or fired by JWA. Four title defense was the uh, one with Fred Von Erich, big superstar, aged Freddie Blassie, Inoki beat him easily, and next world champion to be younger Jack Jack Briscoe. And the final title defense was against then young, but the soon to be big superstar, Dick Murdoch. Big shows, huh? And uh, eventually that uh, the, the UN United National title became all Japan's triple crown title. Still a part of it that, today. We see it today. Still part of it today. Yeah. Well, we changed they, the they, physical they, belt. That's they, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because Mrs. Baba wanted to take that home. But we did see it uh, about a year ago for the special um, Ota Ward Gymnasium like, anniversary right, right. show. Uh, right. Kento Miyahara brought that back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With yeah. Jake Lee so, and Yuma Aoyagi. Right. Right. Because that was the physical belt. All these Stan Hansen, the Vader, the Misawa Kobashi, the uh, Terry Gori, the all these people actually held. Mm-hmm. Physical belt, same physical belt. So those are the classic antiques, which was used next 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Aoyagi is... represented the UN belt last year. He held that same UN title that Inoki had. Ah, okay. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That That's like before, but for 90s fan, it represents Tenru. That was always ah. Tenru's belt. Mm. Yeah. See, um, it, of course, Jumbo had UN, but uh, Jumbo Tsura was more of an international heavyweight champion. Right. And PWF belt was Baba's old Japan version of original you know, world championship belt that was uh, held by people like Stan Hansen a little bit later on. Then merged into one belt to make it like a triple crown. You are 
one and only championship in Japan kind of thing. That was like an antithesis to IWGP theme. IWGP was created, created later on for as an anti-establishment for NWA. See, in Japan, National Wrestling Alliance world title, like held by Dory Funk, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, a little bit later on, Rick, Rick Flair, of course. And Giant Baba was the only Japanese wrestler to win NWA World Heavyweight title, right? And that philosophy was so big in Japan that Inoki had to create IWGP. This is your undisputed number one title in wrestling world. Does that make sense, though? It feels like it's almost a, a marketing war, too. It's hit. especially <laughs> yeah. on the Inoki side because it always it really is about the perception of what how the crowd sees uh, what's being presented, right? And Baba always had the advantage of having oh, the NWA big yeah, and having yeah. more money and having the TV deals. And Inoki was and the always, connection, yeah, connection to the connection. actual establishment mm -hmm. that somebody like Sam Machinik from. St. Louis, the father mm -hmm. of NWA, right? Right. He, the old Samachinik, would get on the airplane and actually come to Japan to just to shake hand with Giant Baba in that ring. So you know, that's what when Inoki N was up yeah against. when yeah when NWA champion comes over, not just Jack Briscoe or Dory Funk or Harley Race, but usually they'll send people like Pat O'Connor with him. So you get the, the be best of the best from the states. Establishment. The established, yeah, the established yeah, company, yeah. the the world stage. Or more like a monopoly feeling to it. Sure. Inoki sure. was outlaw promoter. Only be associated with people like Carl Gotch, great father of great god of wrestling, but he was not promoter. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Korogach taught all the Japanese wrestlers great wrestling, but he was not the guy to book all the big name superstar from America at the time. It was more of a Dory Funk's role to bring in all the superstar from America into Baba's ring. Yeah, you name who's who, you know, all the AWA star too, or like a Superstar from Atlanta, like Mr. Wrestling, you know, Tim Woods, the, or at the time, Von Erich and his people, uh, Houston, Texas people, San Antonio, Texas people, Amarillo, Texas, of course, and the, the people from the Sheik's land, Dick Bruiser's land, NWA Florida, they switched affiliate a little bit, but the, every NWA territory was associated with Jan Baba's All Japan. Therefore, there was a one, um, one, the very symbolic tour. It, I believe, it was January of 1974. Giant Baba brought in, like I said, Sam Machinik, the promoter, father of NWA, who worked the tour. Then champion Jack Briscoe, former champion Hardy Race, and Dory Funk Jr. All on the same tour. On the other hand, Inoki had. Six six hundred pound twin uh, Maguire brothers as an attraction. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. When ba when Baba had a Harley Race and Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk all together with Sam Machinik to come with them 
as NWA World Championship Series. And who Inoki and his people had was the Maguire Brothers, 600-pound twins. I mean, but it's definitely presented as here's the best of the best and the outlaw promotion, like you said, <laughs> is going to offer something different. There was no other choice. But, All the assets were yeah, but up. the real yeah, but the reality is though, they beat in all Japan with TV ratings. They drew just as many people with Maguire Brothers. So they fed into a, a different uh, appetite that the crowd was interested in. I guess you could say. yeah. Plus, if you understand the significance of Sam Machinik being there and Harley Race Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk being on the tour, it's for more reading-oriented magazine reading wrestling fans, huh? Mm-hmm. Like uh, like same as baseball fans, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to keep up oh, with stats, statistics and statistics stories. And, oh yeah, backstage. Casual TV audience, the 600-pound twin Maguire brothers were just as attractive on television. But you know that, that um, what is it, I guess, the sensibility, that still we see it in Japanese wrestling and Japanese MMA, even up to this Raijin recently, has that kind of novelty characteristic. And attraction. Attraction. Yeah, or, or gimmick. Uh, Onita exploding. Legitimacy. Uh, hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's something that's unique and out of the ordinary. It's kind of uh, spectacular, you know, like circus yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. After all, both guys were doing TV shows. How's that's that? That's right. Different yeah. styles, though. Yeah, so Different I watched both. Of course, I was reading oriented wrestling fan kid. So I was excited, you know, all the matching after, you know, Bob against Jack Briscoe, Young Jumbo against Jack Briscoe. Dory against Jack Briscoe, Hardy Race against Jack Briscoe in Japan, Dory against Hardy Race in Japan, uh, Dick Byer, rest, you know, Destroyer wrestled each and every one of them too. And in the mixed, you know, the tag team situation of all these things in there too. All the possible tag team was occurred. Dory and Hardy together, Jack Briscoe and, and Dory together, and Hardy Race and Jack Briscoe together. Baba and Jumbo together, Baba and Dick Bayer Destroyer together, and Destroyer and Jumbo together. They, they went, up, went, up, went, went up against each other each and every week for four-week period. Exciting, right? Was and Jumbo a rookie around then? Yeah, yeah, second-year rookie. Just mm. came back. Yeah, but already was good. He was already mm. good. He was already teaming yeah. with Baba, and he kind of had the same treatment. Yeah, and then also he was six six, real tall Japanese, and learned quick and worked much like young Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Trained in Amarillo. So, yeah, trained in Amarillo, and it was not focused, but the young rookie Stan Hansen was hidden there too. That's Interesting, right. huh? Yeah, yeah. But that was all Japan television, and on Friday night, I watched Inoki against Maguire Twins. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, That's then what you rating chose? was. It, well, I watched everything. IWE, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. So, what so, did you do when when uh, you couldn't uh, watch the if they were on at the same time? Did you have? Oh, they were not. They were not. Oh, they were on right. different times. Right, right. Uh, Monday night was IWE channel twelve, and Friday night channel ten. Now it's five, but TVSI Inoki Friday night, and Saturday night All Japan channel four. 
So I watched three, you know, different wrestling all one week, all prime time. Happy days, huh? Happy days. <laughs> it was too late, you know. I was already a wrestling fan as a kid. Yeah. But uh, back, let's rewind a little bit. And there was a time, five-year period, six, 1967, 68, 69, 70, 71. Baba and Inoki were together. Baba was slightly above Inoki, but underdog Inoki was so much, so loved, so much by like us kids. You know, like in school, you and I talked about it, you know, and in the playground, kids will try your, you know, this abdominal stretch or something because it was Inoki's cobra twist. Mm. <laughs> yeah. When Octopus was introduced as a new finish, we did that at the play park too, in the playground. Everyone has to try. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the Baba's finish was um, in the karate chop and the big boot, you know, side 16 big boot. The Inoki's work was always a lot flashier than Baba's. Right. But for some reason, as a kid watching TV, Baba gets better opponent and Baba beat them all, you know? And the week before that, Inoki get beat, you know? So we scratched the head as, as, a, as a kid, you know? Oh, does that mean Baba's better than Inoki? I like Inoki better kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Every kid, every kid thought about that for a long time. And sure enough, and as of 1972, yes, Inoki starts his New Japan Pro Wrestling with Korogach, and Baba starts his Old Japan Pro Wrestling with the Funks, and therefore two different kinds of pro wrestling. And the logic then was though, Inoki's wrestling is real, and Baba's wrestling is more American. Does that make sense? Yeah, the more NWA traditional North American style. And bounce off the rope a lot more, you know. I went back to see Strong Kobayashi passed away uh, December 30th, you know, like uh, four weeks ago, right? Mm -hmm. Three weeks mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, very recently. Very recently. So I went back to watch Inoki against Kobayashi match from December 74, like a couple of days ago. I watched the entire match. The first time in what, 40 some years, because I was seventh grade then. But the, the video existed, and then I found it on YouTube, Inoki against Kobayashi, 30-minute match. They did not bounce off that rope until 25-minute mark. Hmm. Not once. Hmm. Yeah, see, Baba's wrestling, Dory Funk, the uh, Jumbo, Young Jumbo Tsuda match, they are bouncing off the rope right and left, right? Right. That's their style. But uh, Irish whip. He, yeah, and uh, when Inoki tried to have this, you know, double arm suplex, you know, the, the butterfly underhook suplex, mm -hmm. you know, the Dory Funk, Billy Robinson move, when when Inoki tried to, you know, have this double underhook, double arm suplex to Kobayashi, Kobayashi sat and couldn't pick him up, right? Right, that must be how hard it is to pick guy up for the suplex. But on Saturday night, Dory Funk Jr. easily picking up everybody and doing a double arm suplex right and left. Is that the same suplex? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you wonder a lot of things as a kid, you know, naturally. There was a lot of um, like kind of questioning the style. Yeah, because when you talk about, you know, I mean, that happens today too. When you talk to non-wrestling fans, why would you throw your, you know, opponent to the rope and they come right back at, you know, right back at you? As if you're, you know, you are choreographed to do something. Mm. Yeah. 
But I always answered, but you watch wrestling match carefully enough that uh, sometimes they bounce off the rope and come back and kick you, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's not like choreographed. It's like, it is choreographed. But uh, as a kid, I always defended wrestling like mm. it's mine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, that happens because, you know, they're talking something that they don't even watch and something wrestling has always been something important to you, right? So mm -hmm. you're going to start defending. You got, you, you've been defending wrestling ever since you were a little kid. You have to. <laughs> it's more yeah. complex than just, you know, because like we were and talking also, about earlier, territory. You yourself, are be, you yourself are being denied or something. Felt like you it, watch, yeah. Yeah, because you watch, you know, something so stupid and you love something so stupid that it's not, you know? <laughs> yeah, but how can you explain that when somebody walks into a scene of uh, wrestling and one piece of an hour-long show can be really stupid and silly, but wrestling yeah. is always so many different parts moving at the same time. And, always, and then plus, you know, that uh, when you talk about wrestlers Inoki's big biggest rival Taiga Jit Singh or Baba's then big rival Abdullah the Butcher they're always so bloody on television right mm -hmm. oh that's so much violence so much violence it's like they don't get bloody every week it means something right mm. <laughs> yeah but I guess the televisions, you know, that the standards were a little bit different in the early 70s that they showed a lot of blood on television network television there were actually a lot of brawling. 1970s Japanese pro wrestling had a lot more brawling in, in and out of the ring and using yeah, weapons yeah. with the Sheik and, and Tiger G. Oh, Singh. the post, yeah, ring, ring post, yeah. Yep, or just yeah. you know, people choking each other, strangling each other. Yeah, like a heat. We heat, call it, just, right? just, and especially <laughs> with Inoki, especially with Inoki. Yeah, uh, his um, matches. Also, right, because Baba bringing all the American superstar, if they were superstar as a babyface in America, Baba will bring him in like American babyface. If if this wrestler was a big heel in America, he would be brought in as an American heel. So they will work exactly like you know you've read in magazines. Whereas Antonio Inoki bring in all these American wrestlers as heel. You know, like a people like a Pedro Morales, your big Puerto Rican hero in, in, in New York City, right? Mm -hmm. But when Pedro Morales came to New Japan ring, he's like, he works like heel, you know? So I wondered, he's like, wow, that's not the Pedro Morales I read about, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had so that same experience a... in, in the States growing up. Did you know? Like, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not, a, it's not on a high... Uh, well, what's what can I say? I don't think I can compare the level of what we're talking about right now. But when I was young, I used to watch a company called GWF that was on ESPN. GWF, yeah, from it, Dallas. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. The Red Short Ring. Lived. Yeah. It, I think uh, it was pretty much um, uh, Joe Perisino, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it, Joe it was like the kind of. Con uh, part of a continuation of the, the Houston TV shows and right not, after, after world class went down, the kind of USWA mixed with, right. Mixed. Right. Right. So that was after, but still using sportatorium. Yep. Yep. Using right, sportatorium and it was on ESPN and I, I watched it pretty regularly. I, and I, the Patriot was the big star when I was watching Barry mm -hmm. Horowitz, a big star and the huge star on the show when Barry I was Horowitz. watching, 
Oh, yeah. Barry Horowitz, I, that's another thing. I saw him first as a kind of a middle of the card guy who would beat guys. He would beat the other yeah. guys and he would pat himself on the back. But he, right, right. WF, he was presented as, uh, you know, not, not a enhancement. enhancement. He was an enhancement guy. But the big blonde baby face here or there was a young Jeff Jarrett. He was like the superstar. He was like a young Ricky Morton or something with right, uh, right. red tights, white boots. And he was, he was presented like main event every week, just the hero. Ah, I saw right. him later on come to WWF and he was just a heel. He was a Southern heel. Yeah. And like I, a country, country sing, country music singing hero. I mean, right, heel. right, right, right. And he was a uh, kind of traditional baby face. They talked about his, how his father was, you know, Jerry Jarrett and, Etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, but he so again to bring it back to the original point sometimes we could be presented completely different versions or different personas <laughs> yeah. i i remember gwf as a first place that the jerry lynn and lightning kid xbox yes. sean waltman went went yeah that was like, uh, oh, i've 19, seen those matches later old. on yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that yeah i watched it because it was, it was on after school it would be on at around like 3 30 something ah, like okay. that yeah, yeah, it was always and, like and there was other wrestlings. Yeah, that's the good feeling. ESPN carried wrestling, you know. It was did yeah. you watch a, a did you watch AWA on ESPN too? Sure, sure. AWA classics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it would always have an irregular schedule, but that was one of the charms I, I really miss about um watching wrestling is because back in the day, if you had cable, you didn't really need I mean, if you had satellite, you had way more options, but if only you rich kids only rich kids. that's right that's right in their parents house yeah but yeah. if you studied like i did like the nerd i am i studied the tv guide because and i would okay, find okay. What, wrestling what time. like at two o'clock in the morning that's the only way you could find it is you really had yeah. to dig and and find and it would be on channels that would only be around for half the year right you know? right uh, you 20, know how the tv 20, business 20, is 24 episodes 24 episode altogether something like, like that a, yeah like a tv season awa yeah, classics guess. was like that it would be on espn 2 or espn 3 and just pop up sometimes and oh that was uh, varangania's last fight you know i also yeah. i have vivid memories of watching something i don't know if you remember this called awf AWF from Chicago, of course. From Chicago with a lot of right. ex WWF wrestlers. Yeah, I got Tito Santana, the yeah. you know, Killer B, Jim Brunzel, Sergeant Slaughter. Slaughter. Yeah. Of course. Um, of course. I and have they brought memories. in paid audience. They yes. hired movie extra to be in the ringside to be loud fans. That wrong idea, you know? It was yeah, more I like American that. Gladiators or something. Yeah, it sounded like it. Yeah, it only lasted a year or season. It's bad. It was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to, you know, I have to consider a Japanese fan very lucky because he was network television always from Ricky Dozen's get go, right? In in Giant Baba era, Inoki era, two different channel, or even the third company, IWE, IWA, IWE, International Wrestling Entertainment uh, Enterprise. They had their uh, channel twelve to TV Tokyo too. So three company each had network television on prime time weeknight you know weekly night uh the, the, the school nights but uh, it, it was like something that i you know religiously watched as a kid i mean regular television yeah 
the, there's a pros and cons, I think, just coming up from, from comparing it to my background. Because, and one part of me would really love that you know, that you have oh, in Japan, you always had steady uh, supply of pro wrestling. Yeah, know? yeah. Because well, you, the country, you, well, you have to remember, Japan is a country the size of just California. Mm -hmm. You know, and TV it's another territory. Has always been big. Yeah, yeah. And television has always been big, big thing. So, because you, you grew up in northern New York and you had geographic <laughs> that the dynamic that you have to watch WWE, right? Yes, or, or I mean, you had to do the legwork, and you and I kind of liked it a little bit, you know. But but what you had to do is you had to go and seek out stuff because television wasn't like if some if you saw something on TV and you didn't record it that was it that was the last chance <laughs> right right like if we were watching a match on monday night raw even in the 90s if you didn't videotape record it i mean that's that's the last you may first not see it again la yeah it's just an image uh. in your mind so watching and remembering certain images and talking about oh, them the now, video, really that the video of... you know that the video deck that the vhs tape didn't come in play until early 80s mm -hmm. for me i think later know. in the states like uh, yeah mid 80s oh yeah my first vcr i bought was like not until like 85 you know did yeah. you have a betamax uh no my friends had it half the friend had betamax and half the friend had vhs eventually all became vhs but uh, yeah some people still keep the beta tape in uh, in your basement to this day <laughs> they don't know what to do about it but uh, what does it yeah. look like i've never seen it what smaller does it smaller smaller yeah. version of v exactly like vhs but like a size smaller hmm. i mean they don't convert you know if you had betamax at, a, at your home you only use the v you know betamax tape and hmm. if you had v vhs you know vcr you only have that you know it's like blu-ray yeah. yeah yeah right right now it's blu ray or dvd overnight you know and then probably people don't even watch dvds anymore it's all streaming or you, you some, something you find on the, on the internet, mm -hmm. you know? And people don't even tape shows anymore these days. You don't have to. You can find it. It's you taped You can you. find it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you, you can find it somewhere. Yeah, but but back to this, you know, Inoki era that uh, Inoki didn't have all the NWA talent or AWA talents, even AWA. People like Nick Parkwinkle, the Blackjack Lanza, the uh, High Flyers, uh, all these guys come to all Japan. See, instead, Inoki had what Tiger Jeet Singh, Johnny Powers, and sometimes you know Korogachi and Luthes make like a rare comeback. And uh, but yeah, I think event... around this time though, if you oh, if you're... and Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant, yeah. How about um? I think it's around this time of like seventy four, seventy five. There was a he also brought in Billy Robinson, and he had a, yeah what, one match, one the yeah, famous match. Famous, oh, real famous, very real long famous. match. How how long was that officially? It was a, a sixty minute time limit, and two out of three four match. The first four don't come in until forty three minute mark. Mm -hmm. Backslide by Billy Robinson, and Inoki got a second uh, uh, that uh, second fall with Octopus, and the third fall only ninety second left. Then the third when the third fall starts and they struggle wrestle and then 90, 90 second you know goes and it was like a it was a 60 minute Broadway only happened once. What was interesting is though six months later 
Billy Robinson switched sides into, into all Japan in 76, that uh, Jan Baba had a PWF title defense against Billy Robinson right away in Baba beat him. So there was a big argument even among strong wrestling fans. Inoki couldn't beat Billy Robinson, but Baba beat Billy Robinson, you know, pretty, you know, clearly. And that means Baba is better than Inoki. How's that? There was a time Inoki had a single match against Ivan Koloff, and there was a time Jan Baba had a single match against Ivan Koloff, which is you know won, won by Baba. So this is like a, there's a handful of guys: Chris Markov, uh, Dusty Rose, Dick Murdoch. There were quite a few guys that had you know both had single match against Jan Baba. Or later on, Stan Hansen, of course. Later, later on, Bruiser Brody. There was Bruiser Brody, Jan Baba against Bruiser Brody. Then there was Bruiser Brody against Inoki. So there's a, we had to have a big American superstar to compare who is actually better between Baba and Inoki. That that question remained like forever until until they they were both old, like all the way till like mid '80s. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Hmm. Or even among Japanese wrestlers, you know, there was a time like in 85, 86, 87 that the Ricky Choshu switched side. There was a single match, Ricky Choshu against, you know, Antonio Inoki. And there was Ricky Choshu against Jumbo Sura. Giant Baba never had single match against Choshu while Choshu was working for Baba. But there was like a tag team situation. They touched each other a little bit. And Ricky Choshu tried to put on his signature Scorpion Deathlock on Giant Baba, but that was only a few minutes of it, you know. Mm. And uh, we had to compare with using some other wrestlers in between, in the middle. I mean, the, the rivalry, you know, was forever, you know. You mean between Inoki and Baba? Baba, right, right, right. So, so who was better as a you know as a wrestler who was better as a promoter who was better as a producer who was you know which one was better television or after all who was better man how's that it's still uh it's still a question it really is because what happened in the end is inoki had many more chapters in his life in the end yeah and baba passed away when he, when he was 61 and it's been about was, 20 years. 23 years to be 23 exact. years. Nine, yeah, January 1999, and his memorial is coming up real quick. Yeah. His birthday was uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, he would have been 84 if he lived. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How old is Inoki right now? About 78, uh, turning 79 next month. Yeah. Pretty old now, huh? Yeah. And, um, yeah, because we, we, we've been talking about Inoki, 17, 18-year-old Inoki, or 20-year-old Inoki, 23-year-old Inoki opening up Tokyo Pro Wrestling. But now Inoki, in reality, he's 79-year-old. Yeah, but he's still with us, yes. And Kazuchika Okada talking about Inoki in that ring, you know, at the Tokyo Dome this year. Wasn't that interesting? Wearing the uh, scarf and the kimono. Just like and hold, holding IWGP heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So He's, it's interesting if we, 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 if we study this, this history and, and uh, IWGP, you know, what IWGP means. Yeah. 
and especially this year because it's the it's the 50th year anniversary it's a, a right. year Now, to reflect it's so symbolic both Inoki and Baba opened up their own company back in 1972 it's been 50 years half a century wow. <laughs> oh god it's like a, makes me feel old though a little bit <laughs> So would you say that's the end of the happy days is when uh, when New Japan and All Japan began? Or, or I mean, it was, it was a different era. Different happy days. As a childhood, in a memory, without VCR, VHS tapes, that, uh, you know, memory of tag, big tag team of Baba Inoki is all in your head, right? Now you can watch some of the videos, you know, Inoki Baba against the Funks, Inoki Baba against Mill Maskers and Spiros Arion or something that tape, tape exists but uh sometimes memories are more important than the videotape so uh what you think of and how you remember is more important than what it was i think so that make you, sense? so do you have <laughs> any vivid memories of watching inoki from around this time up close did you see him at, yeah at yeah because i went i went to watch inoki against korogachi when i was fifth grade when was the first time that you saw him Live. Inoki. Inoki, uh, Inoki Carl Gotch? Yeah, uh, I went to JWA when I was like a third grade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who yeah. was there? Uh, Inoki, Baba together, and Freddie Blassie, Ivan Koloff, Danny Hodge, Dutch Savage, uh, Sakaguchi coming back from Hawaii, all tanned. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of memory, yeah. So your was memory of... Korakuen uh, Hall, Korakuen Hall. Ah, and it was, yeah. it was B.I. Platoon. Be able to and Sakaguchi running in, doing run in. Yeah. The main event was Inoki, Kintaro Oki against that Savage and Bob Sweetan, I, I believe. Mm. Yeah, something wow. like that. <laughs> classics, yeah. absolute classics, yeah. JWA. It's, it's cool that it's JWA. all out on YouTube now. I mean, I don't know where else. Not all, but the, the what, what's left of it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I hope someday somebody digs all those classics out from, from MTV, Channel 4. Channel But 4, I yeah. think a lot of the tape were, you know, taped over it. Then. Ah, what a shame. You know what I'm saying? The yeah. television people using like a one-inch videotape mm -hmm. and they taped it. over it every week. Ah, over okay. It. Yeah. Yeah, because so the tape yeah. was expensive. Like, a, you know, like, a, yeah, because it's a physical tape, not digital. It's one-inch tape or three-quarter tape. The television taping that the, you don't have this mega library you know i i believe they taped it over you know mm -hmm. much like your old existing oregon tapes they taped over it yeah so some 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 matches tapes you know exist some don't yeah but new japan on on you know old japan on on mid mid 70s on they kept tape library pretty good yeah hmm. early old japan you know like open open tournament there was a 75 open tournament open tournament meaning like a, they opened a door to every single promotion in the world you know meaning that the inoki's invited even and there was you know the, the abdul the butcher the dory funk the don leo jonathan the van van rashki the dusty rose dick murdoch mr wrestling all these wrestlers in the one one tour together and uh yeah and yeah well, naturally baba won the tournament but uh yeah that was the time inoki had a single match against billy robinson he competed 
this you know open tournament with just one match you know doesn't matter how many superstars baba bringing from america and how many tours inoki will compete with just one match inoki against billy robinson they drew equal ratings they drew the same these are the very interesting method of business different approaches either, for sure yeah either you have all-star cast or one man movie like inoki always did mm-hmm. when when inoki couldn't have nwa title you know nwa championship he would fight judoka or kickboxer you know after muhammad ali he had the series of mixed martial arts that worked but the mixed martial arts matches and uh people thought that was better than the wrestling world title match yeah because it, it definitely at that point the matches with uh ruska and willie ruska Williams yeah, right. and yeah. um great antonio and, right that too um, yeah. who else um uh the monster monster man monster, eddie monster man that the black kickboxing champion yeah willie yeah. williams uh willie williams was a kokushin karate guy that was a karate okay so yeah kokushin karate monster man monster was Ma- he was, the, was he the, the guy that was with with umanosuke weda and uh tiger jeet singh he he could have he was from like a more of a las vegas kickboxer though okay yeah see las vegas there was always more than one kickboxing company right right yeah monster man everett eddie was his name yeah i don't know who brought him in i don't know i was a kid and it was another white karate guy from canada the kim crocado uh yeah he was another guy and i'm trying uh, to remember there was somebody else another uh yeah white guy uh, someone a white guy a german oh chuck weapner yeah chuck weapner yeah that's chuck right Weppner. yeah that's... inoki against chuck, chuck weapner happened the, the original yeah. uh rocky rocky character yeah so inoki uh, if he couldn't, you know, have ti- NWA title much like uh, Inoki against Hardy Race or anything like that, Inoki he'd much he'd much rather have outside talent like a j- Olympic judo guy or amateur wrestling type guy or a, a big heavyweight kickboxer or traditional traditional boxer guy. I mean, mixed fight, you know, and prove that pro wrestlers are tougher than other combat sport. So. It was like a different concept, yeah, different concept. And Bob, John, Baba, just you know, always choose to ignore that. You know, you are bringing in current NWA champion, right, or AWA champion. When when Jumbo Tsura was you know ready to become the number one guy, he would beat Nick Barquenko to become AWA world champion, first Japanese AWA world heavyweight champion, and had Jumbo Tsura actually travel to the states and defend the title which was good you know yeah and established himself as some new number one guy see inoki remained in top way too long right a little bit you know even after past his prime yeah it was his strategy uh, though it was uh i mean that he didn't have the backing he couldn't fall back on the nwa like giant baba could and um and he decided the, to Inoki, be an active. But the uh, reality is, you know, even aged Inoki was number one draw, the most popular guy and most famous guy. Yeah, and I think that's why he he stuck around. That was just a part of the strategy that that, that kept the company 
where they were. But the great storyline came out of it. If you remember, new leader and and now leaders, you know, that that the Inoki is being challenged by Riki Choshu, Fujinami, Kengo Kimura, the super strong machine. A little bit later on, uh, in mid 80s, 87 to be exact, Masa Saito came back from America and challenged Anton Inoki and ended up having the first jungle fight. And yeah, uh, then you, all the UWF guys, you know, Maeda, Fujiwara, Takada, all wanted to challenge Jan, uh, the Antonio Inoki. So, Japanese against Japanese became pretty much the prime time program instead of having American superstars in there. And Inoki's group was really at the forefront of that compared with All Japan. All Japan was still the classic uh, Japanese hero versus generally a monster or big, unstoppable Yeah, but the half, half the wrestling fan loved it, though. It's true. And yeah, I mean, Stan Hansen was there, and then he told me once, you know, the reason you need big bad guys in, in wrestling is that the if Japanese against Japanese on top as a main main event program, <clears throat> it is not different anything different from your social structure in real in the real world out there. You need big body, big bad heel American to be in that wrestling ring. That, that the big so physically dominant and physically so big and strong that you cannot do anything about that should be the wrestling that's stan hansen's idea yeah yeah because how good of you know that the misawa kobashi all becoming great superstar but they still had hard time competing with somebody like stan hansen so big and strong right also though at around that time, you really saw the difference in the styles of styles, wrestling right. oh, in definitely. the 90s because of how we're skipping ahead and it has little, it's the stem of where, you know, Inoki left these seeds, but by the 90s, All Japan was so clearly the pro wrestling company where New Japan was introducing mixed martial arts. I mean, they were a part of the mixed martial arts world by the late 90s or oh but it was like there was a period there was a period that the four pillars against three musketeers see there was misawa kobashi kawada and taue in all japan ring four superstars and on the other hand inoki's new japan inoki isn't isn't there anymore but you had keiji muto and masa chono and shinya hashimoto kensuke sasaki and hiroshi hase see another five big guns in new japan so they were in the same generation all through 90s whereas new japan had uh, uh, their creation of uh, american talents in vader bam bam bigger scott norton tony home and all japan had stan hansen terry gordy steve williams johnny s danny spivey uh the, the doug Fernandez, johnny Smith. yeah so Richard they have set sets of their own cast yeah they, they were both equ- equally big different rosters different flavors different styles of yeah so it's like I'm, I'm therefore american league and national league type thing not exactly like baba against inoki anymore but baba's company and inoki's company so yeah they're the more ideas promo- yeah promoters yeah yeah the promoters versus the promoter versus promoter and philosophy versus philosophy 
Yeah, and their sons. <laughs> you know, and their like, sons, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're disciples. Like Baba Ch- ba- yeah, Baba children, Inoki children. Mm-hmm. So next episode, we have to really focus on Inoki's prime time in mid-70s into early 80s. Yes. He was responsible for bringing in young Stan Hansen, making big superstar. See, Inoki was responsible for bringing in young 27-year-old Hulk Hogan, making big, huge superstar before he was big superstar in WWE. See, those are very important periods. And also, Inoki, there was a period, Inoki sort of tried to kind of erase Korogachi's influence. It was more of like a WWF Japan type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andrew the Giant, Hulk Hogan, the Dom Rocco, the uh, Rene Goulet, the Tony Atlas, the, you know, Jesse Ventura, the Adrian Adonis, the, all these, Bob Backlund, of course, Inoki and Bob Backlund's a tag team kind of thing. And it was and, like NWA against WWF in Japan. And a little bit later, or late 70s, early 80s, Inoki would become WWF champion for beating, beating Bob Backlund in Japan. In and Japan, he never yeah. even then it was not recognized in WWE. It was mm-hmm. interesting. We have to cover that. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so much, and we have to kind of think about it. Like we have to cover Inoki's career <laughs> in the ring at the time. Yeah. There's lots of interesting things we have to cover, but also outside the ring, it becomes more of like a more studying a promoter. And a book. Yeah, all at the same time. So Baba and Inoki the same promoter, producer, and star in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, and both aging at the same time. So yeah, they had to change, shift a little bit. Yeah, and you saw the the roots of their philosophy really in the eighties and nineties start to grow and solidify, and really we get to see this is who Inoki is, and on the other hand, this is where Baba is too. This is they're similar, but they're not the same. These styles very, are yeah, very yeah, very different. Ideas about both wrestling. both equally big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they came so at the same time. We'll be having Inoki part three, four, five, and and we'll hope we we can cover all these, you know, all the way to like a, at least year two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Then then we're all going to have Baba series. Okay. This is, this is the entire uh, Paris one hundred and one uh, series. I think what's going to turn. Oh, out to we'll be, be doing that. Uh, let's let's have an episode every five days or so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Uh, we'll go okay. Crazy. Okay, so Inoki for the next few weeks, everyone is going to be the the main topic. Part three, part four. Okay, let's have at least three more episodes on Inoki, then go on to Baba. That's right. And we learn a lot about NWA too. NWA and early, uh, um, well, not early, but 70s, 80s, WWF. Yeah, yeah, that too. And uh, what territory was. You know, mm-hmm. the today's wrestling fans don't know American territories days, you know. It died out after 1984, Vince McMahon, national expansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the kind of what we see today, what we experience today uh, yeah. in pro yeah. wrestling, it's not the same as it was when Inoki was working with WWF and uh, we had the NWA still going strong, working with all and, and interesting enough that uh, Inoki, I mean, Jan Baba was the first one to cut ties with NWA when NWA became only NWA Jim Crockett promotion. Mm-hmm. 1988. Yeah, that's when Jan Baba decided not to be associated with them and create their own American roster in Japan. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. So the, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. All and Stan Hansen. Yeah, Stan Hansen choose to stay in Japan as home run guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. not with Inoki, although he came with Inoki first. Yeah, technically, 1975 rookie Stan Hansen had one tour with all Japan, mm-hmm. but 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 he went to New York WWF and had a program. Young Stan Hansen had a program with Bruno San Martino, where San Martino broke his neck. Right. Mm-hmm. That's then, right. Yeah. Then that the Shea Stadium that uh, in Muhammad Ali against Inoki was, you know, that the. Uh, beamed you know that the live feed from japan at the shea stadium but the main event was actually live stan hansen against return of bruno san martino then three or four months after that stan hansen was new japan superstar and had a program and he you know stan hansen beat inoki for nwf title and then there was a promotional war new japan against old japan in 1981 Inoki stole Abdul the Butcher from Japan, I mean, from all Japan, and Jan Baba in return stole Taigajit Singh from Inoki. And Dick Murdoch, Kim Doc, the Chavo Guerrero, the, uh, all the way to Stan Hansen, Bruce Brody, that, that they, they switched side. Interesting, huh? That's a lot to cover, and that's not even getting up to the 1990s. We're still uh-uh. uh, 40 years behind. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all in my memory. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So next time, what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're going to start from the mid-70s after New Japan got into motion, um, after Inoki really, he had established himself as a, he's a very, very popular And also NWF was a very uh, important item that he actually won the NWA, NWF World Heavyweight Champion from Johnny Powers, which was Ohio company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He purchased the whole company from Ohio and made NWF World title as Japanese title and held that next six, six, six seven years and established it. That was pretty much Inoki's prime time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The iconic belt look with the eagle on it. And eagle, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That belt's a real beautiful belt, right? And, it, and he, so he did was, so many promo pictures with it from around that time. It's a really kind of like an iconic. That's his uh, icon, iconic photo, right? More hmm. so than IWGP belt, right? Isn't that interesting? Because there really wasn't an IWGP belt uh, when the Grand Prix, the Grand Prix didn't have that that belt. It was it was a tournament. Yeah, for, yeah first five years it was it was tournament. It was so uh, and the first winner was Hulk Hogan. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. Yeah, no, I don't ever think about the IWGP belt in Inoki, even though right IWGP Heavyweight Championship became title to be defended, not until about the eighty-seven. Right. Yeah. So that's and then in the nineties and into the two thousands. Yeah, it's all the way to Fujinami, Choshu, Hashimoto, Muto, Chono, Vader, or Yuji Nagata, or, or Shinsuke Nakamura, Tanahashi. They all had it. Yeah. Naoya Ogawa, that era. Oh, that, that, that too. Or Kazuyuki Fujita, or somebody like that. Yeah. There's, oh, there's, so, there's so many different and complex stages to, to go through. It's, it's going to yeah, be interesting. Yeah, but the IWGP but... heavyweight mm. title remain. Oh, even people like Brock Lesnar. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, he had the title. Even China, 
for that matter. <laughs> right. Right. That was dark age. Whew. Yeah. We got a lot to cover. And Man, you know, like, he, he's a big part of that, that dark age though. He's a big figure, important figure. You know, he is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cause he sided with his MMA instead of wrestling. He kind of betrayed pro wrestling completely in a way, but uh, he, in his mind, he didn't. Yeah. And in his mind, he was a rest, pro wrestler. Yeah. Cause wrestling changed, not him. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there's we'll cover there's that. lots to cover. There's lots to cover. If, uh, if anybody has questions on, Inoki, we can, Oh, please. Yes, yeah. Yes. Contact us. All the details. Yes. How can and, people contact you? Fumi-san? Uh, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter or just Fumi Saito on Facebook or Fumi Saito 2001 on Instagram, but I'm not on Instagram that much. <laughs> and I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Um, you can contact us through there or through the Patreon or anything that Fumi just listed. So until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.